This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Ernest Lewis. The Forward Singapore exercise began in June 2022, and since then, over 14,000 Singaporeans from all walks of life have participated in about 140 engagement sessions on a wide range of topics. They reflected on our roles and responsibilities in society, towards each other, and in contributing to Singapore's progress. This is the first of four podcast discussions till mid-October, and part of the ongoing conversation to refresh our social compact for the next lap of Singapore's journey. Broadly speaking, a social compact is a shared understanding of everyone's roles in society and how all of us relate to one another. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Communications and Information in support of Forward Singapore. In this episode, we've invited three guests to the studio. First up is a policy expert, a Deputy Secretary for Workforce at the Ministry of Manpower, Kenny Tan. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Thanks, Ernest. Glad to be here. Next, we have Ivan Lua, who was once an Air Force officer for 14 years. He made a successful career transition to his current role as Information and Cybersecurity Risk Specialist at Standard Chartered Bank Singapore. Ivan. Thanks, Ernest. Good to be here. Good to have you here, Ivan. Then we have Keith Ng, the CEO of Performance Rotors, a company that was started in 2016 to build drones and develop robotic solutions for data acquisition in GPS-denied and confined space environments. Keith, glad to have you joining us. Thank you for the invite. Happy to be here. Now, Kenny, let's start with Ministry of Manpower, MOM's biggest findings from its forward SG sessions. What were some of them? Maybe you can share with us. So I've been working on the Empower Pillar of Ford Singapore. Empower is really about refreshing our social compact when it comes to jobs and the economy. So as you can imagine, there's been a wide range of views, but three points have really stood out to me personally from these engagements. So these points are, it's about progression, resilience and inclusion. So the first point is about progression. Let me explain. So we've heard, for example, from fresh graduates who are excited to enter the world of work but they want advice and guidance how to make better career decisions. We've also heard from mid-career workers who are looking at the new emerging areas in the economy, like the green economy, for example, and they're thinking, how can I get into some of that action? So they also want support for upskilling and making career switches. The second area is about resilience. Not everybody wants to keep climbing up the career ladder. So some, maybe they're content where they are, but they also see that the world is changing around them, changing quite quickly. So they're also thinking, how can I stay employable? How can I get fair opportunities to work as long as I want to? That's one set of feedback. The other set of concerns we've been hearing have to do with uh, retrenchments. So with, again, the pace of change, some people may be retrenched, left behind, especially for those with lower incomes. Perhaps this will have a much greater toll on them financially or even mentally. So how can we help them to bounce back and get back up on their feet? The last point that has really stood out to me has to do with inclusion. So the Singaporeans we've been speaking to are not just thinking about their own careers, but also about the economy as a whole. So how can we have an inclusive economy where nobody gets left behind or gets left out? So this has a few dimensions, right? For example, how about people who are good with their hands, right? The makers, the fixers. When we look at skilled trades like electricians, plumbers, 
carpenters, how can we make sure that these skilled trades also offer good career progression and wages for tradespeople? How about essential workers? How about caregivers, senior workers? So these are three areas that have really come true to me from the engagements, progression, resilience and inclusion. I think these are areas that we will need to continue to work hard on as we look at the next bound of Singapore's uh, growth. Ivan, let's bring you in here. You're 36 now, but how old were you when you decided on a career transition and why? After all, being an Air Force officer, I mean, to many people, that is the stuff of Top Gun dreams, right? Many Singaporeans would have thought you'd stay longer in the force. I actually came across the TFIT program when I was 34. The program having different domains actually sought to build a pool of local talents in the finance industry. I was not only looking at my personal career growth back was in the force, but I was looking at long-term career beyond my 50s or, you know, as I age. So coming from the military, I cherish that sense of duty and purpose. So with the deeper integration of the digital world to the way we live our daily lives, and with the accompanying sharp rise in cybercrime, I felt that there would be an increased demand in uh, cyber professionals, especially in cybersecurity and tech-skilled professionals as well. So there'll be no better time to get involved. Mm. And also with COVID-19, I felt that job resilience would be an important factor in the finance industry. Okay. Ivan, you were about what, 34? 34. When you decided on this change, you're 36 now. So yes, Kenny, after hearing Ivan's background, I mean, it looks like we're talking, as you said earlier, you know, adaptation, making use of new opportunities in one's career. I mean, it's not just an issue faced by older workers in their late 40s or 50s anymore, right? I thought to answer this question, it's important that I take a step back and look at the bigger picture. So if you look at what is influencing the future of our economy and the future of work, really there are two big mega trends. These will not sound surprising, right? So the first is technology. Mm. It's not just technology, but it's about the pace of technological advancement and adoption. So if you look at ChatGPT, now it's a household name. And it's a household name because it has been adopted so quickly. It took about two months for ChatGPT to get 100 million users. Right. You compare that to WhatsApp, that took 42 months, so about 20 times longer. And you compare that again to the internet, that took about seven years. So it's really about the innovation cycle getting shorter, getting faster. And what this means is really businesses and jobs are really changing. So again, going back to ChatGPT, it's created a new job called Prompt Engineer. This job never existed before, it's a new job. But even as we see this new job emerge, already we are seeing the next generation of large language models being able to craft their own prompts. So if you think about it, somebody who joins the labour market today as a prompt engineer, would they retire 40 years later as a prompt engineer? Mm. My bet would be they would not. Yeah, what's a prompt engineer? So a prompt engineer basically is somebody who crafts the prompts that you input into a large language model, right? So it's about giving the right inputs and right context to generate an accurate response. And that's become a bit of a new job. But really that will change as the language models get smarter at understanding natural languages and also at crafting their own prompts. So that's an example, I think, about how jobs are changing, but changing very quickly. The second trend, again, is familiar to most of us, is longevity. So we are living longer, healthier lives. So Professor Linda Gretton, she's a London Business School professor, she's written about this thing called the 100-year life. And her argument really is that once you live that long, attitudes towards work are going to change radically. And she argues that the traditional three-stage life, so full-time studies, full-time work, then full-time retirement, this will give way to what she calls the multi-stage life. Mm-hmm. So rather than working continuously for 40 years, really we want to see, we will see actually people moving into more flexible working arrangements 
where work is interspersed with periods of learning, reinvention, leisure even, caregiving. So what happens when you put these two trends together? Mm. It means that you know the concept that we many have today of a single linear career path, right? In one's working life, actually this will not be so realistic going forward and actually not even that uh, desirable going forward. So back to Ivan's example then, you know, so really the idea of then, okay, being more agile in your career, making pivots along the way, actually this is, we expect this to become the norm going forward. Ivan, what were the challenges that you faced? I'm pretty sure you had some reservations as you decided, should I leave this solid career behind? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When I was considering mm. my path and considering where I could go, there were definitely a few concerns that I had. The first one being relevance to the corporate world, to a corporate employer. At first glance, you see as an ex-military guy, the skill sets are very niche. You know, how can my skill sets be used in the corporate world? Yeah. What hiring manager will want to consider employing ex-soldier or ex-aviator? The next one would be the skill sets and knowledge that will be in demand to the industry. So as mentioned, coming from the military, in terms of skill sets, there are a few different pillars, right? You have your technical and vocational aspect, your maybe weapon handling, you know, your flying skills. Then there's also your officership, your leadership or staffing aspect, where it's how you communicate with leaders, deliver on projects and do office work or to lead people yes. and to manage projects. So it really took time and effort to distill down my 14 years of experience to where I could used to market my value proposition to my future employer. Mm. It was a difficult process to try to identify that. At the same time, to get your confidence up, right? Exactly, that, right? Yeah. You need to know how to value yourself. Yes. The next one will be starting from scratch. You know, it means plenty of relearning, steep learning curve. During your previous career, you have gone through the grind of being a junior position holder, you know, working long hours, long days. And then when you make this career switch, that thought will come into your mind, right? You know, when you make this career switch, you need to humble yourself to say, okay, I'm trying something new. Let's go through the grind again to build expertise and credibility in my new job. Mm. And I think the next most relevant is a financial reset, right? Having been in your previous job for many years, you would have built, you would have built an income that is comfortable for you. And when you do this career transition, sometimes your thought of resetting your salary ladder, you know, starting from the bottom again, yeah. will cross your mind. Can I feed my family? Can I continue to meet my life goals. So I think these are the, the thoughts really weighing on my mind at the point of making a decision. Mm. And yeah. you're married with children yeah. as well? married with two kids, right. four and two. Okay, so yeah. how was your on-the-job experience at Stanchart? So, um, how did you find it? Okay, before I start with my experience at Standard Chartered, yes. let me start with the TFIT program, right? Mm. Because before Standard Chartered, I went through three months of training with the training, structured training providers, right? So I went through my training for cybersecurity with Bridging Minds. And this training really grounded me in the domain knowledge, teaching me how maybe how firewalls work, how hackers would come and attack your systems, mm. you know, and what do network systems look like, so on and so forth. So with this knowledge, I go to the bank. This provides me an opportunity to utilize this knowledge to execute the roles and tasks given to me with the bank. Mm -hmm. So once at the bank, of course, there was a concern of, as mentioned, steep learning curve, being really busy. However, the support system and the amazing teams and the bank culture made the transition a lot smoother. So it was a really eye-opening and enriching experience. There was plenty to wrap my head around, especially on matters like how the business works, mm. how payments work, how applications work in the entire digital ecosystem of the bank. So 
although my leadership and management are really very busy, they have been very patient to accede to my request for coaching, crash courses, explanations <laughs> and clarifications. Right? I was not yeah. shy. Yeah. I bugged them to no end to tell me, okay, how does things work? You know, I really don't understand. Tell me more. Give me context. And So that's a good quality, right? You need to open your mouth and ask for help. Definitely, right? If you want to deliver value, what do you need to do? You can't read your boss's minds and so mm. you need to extract that information from them, right? And then not only the bosses but your colleagues being supportive and understanding also make the job a lot easier. So the team and management being open-minded allowed me opportunity to question and understand their decisions and even to say no and argue my point across. So sometimes they do accept it but sometimes they will counter-argue and share their reasonings and pointers for me to deepen my understanding. But also the bank has a lot of training programs. So mm. I think Standard Chartered has a very mature training and education program for their staff. Besides technical training, there's also communication skills and other soft skill trainings that are available in the bank. So all these opportunities really help to grant me confidence to aid in my job transition. I guess next time you can ask for some podcast training as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ivan, what can the government schemes do better to facilitate a wider crowd in a more uncertain future, especially in the coming decade or so? Yes. Okay, I think government schemes or efforts, one of the areas would be to evolve hiring practices and change mindsets. Mm. Not only mindsets of mid-career or employees, but mindsets of employers and hiring managers. I think the secret or golden cow of paper qualifications will need to evolve to allow for people of varying backgrounds and skill sets to move across industries to enhance mobility. It will also be very helpful to help job seekers to better understand and crystallize their job experiences and to be able to communicate that during their job search and interviews with prospective employers. I think programs like TFIP that I ran through were very invaluable to open the doors not only to rescue and train but to place you in uh, willing employers to give you the relevant industry experience. I think that was the biggest opportunity given to us. But also in these programs, I think it's crucial to be very clear and transparent about the expectations of the program. Is it a program to uh, and place you or to a program to train you mm. and also the statistics involved, right? How do graduates fare after the program? Where do they go? Because you don't want participants to be disillusioned midway through the program. And finally, I think is to vet and filter for supportive employers participating in the program, right? To ensure that when trainees join this program, they are well-trained and meaningfully deployed in their roles. So it's important to gather balanced feedback between you know, trainees mm. as well as employers to improve this experience. I guess, as you said, the mindset from the employers who are taking you in you know, after you graduated from that program, that's very important. Or else you'll break the spirit of new employees, right? You know, can you anything to add to that? I mean, after hearing Ivan's experience? I think Ivan's experience really, I think, is a really encouraging and positive story, right? But I think the challenge for us back uh, to the Empower Pillar is how then do we do this at scale across our 2.3 million resident workforce? I think the government certainly is not in the position to say what the future is going to be. And certainly we can't tell individuals what their next job should be. So we think the answer is really about building something we call career health, right? So a few elements actually Ivan has shared. So maybe I will break career health into its uh, three elements. The first dimension of career health has to do with better information and awareness. So earlier, Ivan was talking about how he managed to crystallize his 14 years of RSAF experience into some nuggets of who he is, the skills he has. So I think that's the important first step. Just like we need regular health checkups, our career also needs checkups. 
So what we want to do is really to put more information, more data, more insights into the hands of every Singaporean so they, they can take charge of their career health. So that's the first piece. Second piece, I think Ivan also talked a lot about this. It's really about then building up your health. So just like for physical health, you have to eat right, exercise, watch your weight. So too, your career health, you have to invest in your human capital. So th- whether this is training or seeking out career development opportunities, trying out new jobs, this is how you build up your career health. But to do this, you cannot do it in a haphazard way. You need to have a plan. So we are also looking at how we can make career guidance, good quality career guidance, more accessible to the broad middle of Singaporeans to support their career planning and career switches. The third part, Ivan hasn't spoken about this yet, and I hope perhaps he doesn't have to, and that is even with the best healthcare regime, you will still fall sick, and sometimes you can still fall seriously sick. So I spoke earlier about the pace of economic restructuring and transformation. Some people, through very little thought of their own, will find themselves retrenched, displaced, right? So the key is really how can we build a support system to help displaced workers to bounce back, get back on their feet. So I think this is the third element of career health. So these three things, I think, is how I think government can build a support structure, working closely with employers and workers themselves to take charge of their career health and help us, to, as Ivan says, you know, encourage labour mobility and help our economy to continue to grow. Great points there, Kenny, on career health. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Back to our conversation with our three guests on the Forward Singapore discussion of jobs, support, reskilling, and the importance of maintaining one's career health at a younger age. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Communications and Information in support of Forward Singapore. So Keith, you're the CEO of Performance Rotors. In a nutshell, tell us what your company does. Right, so basically we develop drone solutions to take over inspection in dangerous spaces. Mm. So for example, in confined space where it's dangerous because of gas or flammable, you don't want people to go in there. So what we do, we develop robotic solutions to carry out the inspection so that the human inspector don't have to be put at risk. Right. So that's essentially what we do. Okay. Mm. Okay. Let's look at what Kenny said, how the government is encouraging all Singaporeans. They need to start taking the initiative, hopefully after listening to this podcast too, to build up their employment resilience and prospects, really, as Kenny said, their career health. How have you tried to shift this mindset change at your company? I think, thankfully, there was no shift needed because it is something that we have in place since inception. So in our company, from the onset, we practice this. At every town hall, at every annual appraisal, we tell our guys, go out there, identify what are the causes you need. Because as a founder, I was never trained in robotics. I was never trained in AI. Mm -hmm. So my colleagues are the best people to tell me, hey, I saw this cause. It will improve my skills. I want to attend it. Go for it, you know. From time to time, we even get requests for a course that are not directly related to their current role. For example, a software engineer requests for rope access training, IRATA, requests for working at height. So I ask him, you know, you are doing coding, you are doing programming. Why do you need all this um, physical qualification? So it's very encouraging. Our guys turn around and say that we want to be out there in the field along with the drone pilots, I'm working at height so I know exactly what needs to be done. 
So we have that self-learning culture in our company that was instilled from the beginning. Right, so they are trying to understand the job scopes of their colleagues as well so that they can work with each other in a better way. Very much so, yes. Because if you imagine a guy in the field, Mm. what he experiences might not be translated very well to the guy working in a room in the office. So the best way to go for it is to expose them to all aspects and at the same time get them trained as well. So I mentioned that there are requests where people ask for course or training which is not related to their direct job scope. Mm. We are open to this as well because we understand that roles and responsibilities will evolve. So it might not be what they want to do today. It might be something along the career path. They say, hey, I would like to try something else. And in the short span since 2016 that we started, I've already had a hardware engineer look at coding, got fascinated and request for a change. And Mm. we put him through some causes, put him to the software team and he's doing really well right now. Hmm, Interesting. Old thinking is basically, I'm good at my job. Let me just take a a course that is only related to my job. That's the end of the day for me. You know, those kind of mindsets are probably out. That is also still valuable though. Okay. (laughs) Because in some vocation, the longer that you are in it, the more open you are to new technology, new methodology, your knowledge and your expertise becomes really deeply rooted and you know exactly how to fix a problem or you know how to find out what is the right solution. So there is no right or wrong where a staff says that he wants to focus on one aspect and be really good at it or a staff that says that wants to be a general kind of person. If you look at my role as a CEO, I feel that I'm a generalist. Mm. I'm not a specialist in anything. In fact, I always tell my guys, if I were to apply for a position of a programmer in my company, I'm not going to get a job today. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it it's really depends on personal interests. And of course, if the market demand is there, then it would be a wise move to get better in that area. About making employees more proactive with their careers, I understand that in 2021, you hired a mature worker through the career conversion program for internationalization professionals. Tell us more, what you needed her to do? A good example, I think, to start with, I need the individual to tell me exactly what's her ambition, what she longs to do. Mm. So this individual, her name is Tara. So Tara was in the oil and gas industry for over 29 years. Various roles across different companies in the oil and gas So through these years, she has amassed an understanding of work processes, work requirements, safety practices. She's made a huge network within the oil and gas industry. So when Tara came to me and said that she wants to explore sales, something she has not done before, I was excited because I know that her experience coupled with her network will serve our company very well, providing our inspection services to the oil and gas industry. So from there... Very quickly, HR went to search for profession conversion programs. And very quickly, we found one by Singapore Business Federation and Workforce Singapore. And with that training, Tara learned about e-commerce, essential business culture, international marketing, negotiation, distribution channels, etc., etc. So really put her in a very good position to take up this new challenge. When I saw the course module, I wanted to attend too, but I don't qualify. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it was heavily subsidised. So this is a support that, as far as I can remember, when I was an employee, it was never on the table before. So today, when we got Terra to sign up for the training course, it was so heavily subsidised that we paid only $4,000 plus minus, um, including GST, for a course fee of 13000 So it was subsidised up to 70%. And along with that, employing Terra as well for a period of time, her salary was subsidised by the initiative as well. Yes, and all these programmes and the details of the funding and the subsidies and all that, these are publicly available and we'll have links in our podcast show notes as well. So Kenny, back to you. In what tangible ways does the government aim to help bridge gaps between employers and employees in future? I thought the gifts are sharing was a really useful one to show that actually when we talk about career health, career mobility, fundamentally this is not at odds with what the employers want. Businesses will keep transforming. Mm. And with that, their needs for talent, their job requirements will keep changing. Over time, new businesses will also come into the market exactly as Performance Rotos has done, Mm. coming to the market with drone technology. And all of these changes will require manpower. So where will this manpower come from? Our own resident workforce is an aging workforce. And the number of migrant workers and global talent that we can physically fit onto our country is also limited. Right? So the only way to square this circle is by having our own workforce, our own labour be more agile and be more mobile. So, But this career mobility, I think, is a two-sided game. right? In particular, I think there are three ways that employer mindsets will also need to shift. And I can also share a bit more about how government can support employers in making these shifts. The first Actually, to go back to Keith's sharing, is really for employers to see the potential in people. Ivan earlier also spoke about moving beyond paper qualifications and look, looking beyond work experience in exactly the same job. To look beyond what people can do now, but what they could do in future. So in Ivan's case, moving from the Air Force to cybersecurity. In Tara's case, moving from oil and gas into sales, into drone technology. I think we need to help employers to basically adopt what we call a plug-train-and-play approach, right? So instead of plug-and-play, you take somebody who's really right for the job, you move to plug-train-play, where you take somebody who may not be perfect for the job, but with some training and some investment can do the job. Right. But we know this is difficult, right? So two things I think we can do to support employers. One is, again, going back to information data. Can we provide better data to employers so that they can pick out the transferable skills and also know what is the skills top-up that's needed? And secondly, then training the new workers is not without cost, not without risk. I think government can also help to shoulder some of these costs and risks. So in the same programs that both Ivan and Keith have mentioned, these are examples of programs where the government helped to shoulder some of the cost. Mm -hmm. The second area is then to provide opportunities for career mobility within the company. So I thought, again, Keith has also talked about this in the case of performance rotos, right? So he has had example of people who want to specialise in their technical field and get deeper and deeper. He's also had an example of somebody who has shifted from the technical side to the coding side, from hardware to software. So I think this is what workers are looking for in their careers. No matter whether it's a big company or small company, they're looking for career development and progression. So how can employers provide this? When a business unit restructures, for example, does the employer immediately think of a fire and hire strategy? When you set up a new business unit, do you immediately look to the market to hire? Or do you look at your existing employees and see how you can reskill and redeploy them? So again, I think this is where government can help. Programs like the career conversion programs, job redesign and reskilling programs are there to help employees to do exactly that. The third area then is about 
HR capabilities. To do all these things, hire for transferable skills, provide training, provide career mobility, all these actually require strong HR capabilities. So in May this year, MOM, we launched what we call the HR Industry Transformation Plan. And with this, I think we are going to provide various measures and programs, again, to support employers to build HR capabilities and professionalize HR. So I think these are three ways in which I think government can support employers to make the shift to embrace career mobility as well. I mean, you look at SMEs, right? They employ 70% of our workforce in Singapore, Kenny. So performance rotors, as you said, is one example. This is what the government wants to see more of, right? So exactly right. So SMEs are a very important part of our economy. They hire 70% of the resident workforce, as you've pointed out. One thing that we often hear from SMEs, uh, from MOM is, you know, what if I train my workers and then they leave me for another company or my competitor? Actually, there's a quote that is uh, supposedly attributed to Henry Ford. It says, the only thing worse than training somebody and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. So actually, if you look at it, what are the challenges that many of our SMEs face? Two things. One is productivity and the second is attracting and retaining talent. Actually, the way to tackle both of these problems is really to transform the job, right? To increase productivity and then to provide career development training for workers, making you a more attractive employee. So I think this is how we can help SMEs. We know this is difficult. So I think the government can help in two ways. The first is how to transform jobs. Mm. So since uh, 2019, we have been funding these things we call Jobs Transformation Maps. I just want to give you an example. The latest one we launched is the Jobs Transformation Map for hotels, right? So how it works is uh, we look at what is happening in the hotel industry and how jobs are changing. And it goes into very specific details. So we take reservations agents, for example. Currently, today, it's changing, but in many cases, many of these reservation agents in hotels, they handle reservations and inquiries very manually. Mm. A lot of data entry, calls, and so on and so forth. Actually, looking forward, the medium term, three to five years, the job of a reservations agent can change quite a lot, right? So the study estimates that maybe 70% of the tasks can be automated. Online booking systems, chatbots, and so on and so forth. Then it raises an opportunity for businesses. What can you do if your workers have 70% more capacity? Actually, you can take on higher value jobs. So reservation agents can look at the data, curate personalized guest experiences, upsell uh, experiences to guests. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the potential of these jobs transformation maps. Very actionable, very specific. And we have 16 of them. And SMEs can make reference to these maps and think about how to transform their businesses and how to train their workers. So that's the first way we help. The second way, of course, we know that resources are tight. Training is costly. So earlier, I talked about the programs that we have in place to subsidize these costs. So for example, I think the programs that we've already heard from uh, Ivan and Keith include career conversion programs, up to 90% support for salary and training, for example. So these programs are there. So I think the bottom line is, I think the SMEs, very important part of our economy. And we in the government, we want our SMEs to succeed. But they've also got to take the first step forward think about how their businesses will transform and invest in the human capital of their workforce. So very quickly to wrap things up, Keith, back to you. I mean, would you recommend other SMEs in Singapore looking into this initiatives more, despite how small or busy they might feel they are, compared to a bigger company with more resources? In a heartbeat, Ernest, candidates for career conversion program, which like what we went through, usually comes with a wealth of experience. They are mature and level-headed, and by that time in their career, they know exactly what they are looking for. 
and a big plus at that stage, they have a passion to learn as well, to convert and change and try new things. So these are all the essential ingredients for success of an individual and that success will benefit the company as well. So these initiatives are unprecedented, right? There was never such strong support from the government before. Resources are widely available today from WSG, SPF, SMF, E2I, just to name a few that will help with all these individuals and help the companies. All right. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts on your on, on this topic. And Keith, great insights into how your SME is making mindset changes from the employer level to the employee level. Well, thank you. Just as what Kenny shared earlier on, we believe in training our employees well enough to leave over not training them and having them to stay any day. And Ivan, thanks a lot for sharing about your own personal initiative. You're very brave of you as well to do that career transition. Thank you. And I want to really encourage people out there to not get overly worried and stuck at where they are, but be brave, you know, to broaden your horizons to transform your careers. And Kenny, thanks for sharing it with us, the key themes, you know, your teams have gathered for us for months of Forward Singapore Dialogue Sessions. Thanks for having me and I really hope that the stories from Keith and Ivan would inspire our Singapore businesses and workers to do likewise. Thank you. And I wish everyone listening in, as we've learned today, a good career health. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of In Your Opinion, a podcast by The Straits Times. If you'd like to read our opinion columns, there are links in our podcast show notes. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Communications and Information in support of Forward Singapore. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.